So like I said, if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 3, and we'll read, read the passage together, uh, this kind of begins the ministry of Jesus and of John the Baptist. And uh, it's a pretty exciting verse. Next week, uh, Matt Deason is going to share about what Jesus' baptism was. This is just the first part as we read together, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People, came, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Pre- produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So there's a lot of stuff going on in this passage. Um, and the first thing we want to talk about is just John himself. He's a, he's a pretty unique character. I mean, the way that he is portrayed in the scriptures here, he, he, found, he sounds like one of the more distinctive characters, certainly in the New Testament and perhaps in the whole Bible. Um, he obviously had an unusual flair for fashion, maybe a little bit different than the, uh, what do you guys call them in Portland? Hipsters? Yeah, something like that. He, he, wore, um, he wore a camel's vest, and he had a leather belt around his waist. And um, I don't know if any of you have ever been around a camel. Um, had a chance to touch a camel when I was in Dubai, and uh, they're, they're nasty, stinky, and extremely coarse-haired animals. They're used to living in dry, hot, sandy regions. And so this is what he chose to wear every day for his clothing. And he had a leather belt kind of stitching it up. And it says he lived in the desert wilderness. The desert wilderness is just the place where the expectation of the people that something was going to come from the wilderness. Something we talked a couple weeks ago about the Magi coming to visit Jesus and following the signs and how there was this expectation in the entire region that, that this Messiah, this anointed one was going to come and was going to be born around this time. And so John very much came from an area that the expectation of the people was something's going to happen. This was, this was Israel's original promised land, the area around the Jordan. He, uh, he ate... Uh, locusts and wild honey. You guys have locusts on your Christmas menu this year? No? You ever eaten it? Grasshoppers? Yeah, I know you have. I've eaten grasshoppers. They're not that tasty. 
But can you imagine if that was your, your food, was to crunch on this big old nasty bug? He's, a, he's an interesting fellow. Um, the wild honey I could handle, but it says he preached a strange message. And unlike so many people, John the Baptist, he knew what his mission was in life from the very beginning. He came preaching what was known as a baptism of repentance because he clearly understood that he had been set apart by God for a specific purpose. I want to ask you a question to kind of start off this tonight. I wonder how many of us here tonight understand that each one of us have been called by God and set apart for a purpose. Every person here. Do you know Jesus? If you're following Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus, you have been called by God, and you have been set apart for a specific purpose. John clearly knew what his purpose was. Through God's direction, through the expectation of the Old Testament scriptures, through all that had been taught to him from his parents as he's growing up. Remember the angel came to his father, and as he was telling him that you're going to be with the child, he couldn't believe it. He was told what the name was going to be. He, what, he, he, was, he, he couldn't believe it so much that, he, that, that God stopped him from speaking until John was born. So there was all of this expectation that was brought up in John. And through God's direction, John the Baptist challenged people to prepare for the coming of the Messiah by doing two things. Turning away from sin and being baptized as a sign of repentance. Turning away from sin. That's something that we all have to face in our lives, right? John's sole purpose was to come into that region with that expectation that this person was going to come, this Messiah, this anointed one, and preach this message. Preach this message of repent of your sins and be baptized. Be baptized in the waters of the Jordan River where he was. Although John knew that he held no power or influence in the Jewish political system, he delivered his message with such force and authority in that region that hundreds of people were coming to him because they saw what was taking place. And they began, to, they began to hear his message, and it began to kind of seep into him because the people could not resist the overpowering truth of his words. As they flocked by the hundreds and perhaps thousands to hear him and be baptized, and even as he attracted the attention of the crowds, he never lost sight of his mission, and that was to point people Christ. So the second question I want us to consider tonight as we're kind of looking at this passage, first is, do you understand you're called for a purpose? And the second one is, that purpose being to point people to Christ. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, do our lives reflect Christ in such a way that people are pointed to him? Do our lives or do our lives point people to Christ? Think about that. Think about that in the places that you find yourself tomorrow or the next day or next week or in a couple weeks when some of you are heading back home and you're back into your familiar surroundings and you're hanging with some of those friends. Do your lives today or next week or two weeks from now reflect Christ in such a way that people are going to be pointed to him? 
I think back on the times when I was in college, I went to WSU and I was in the engineering degree program. And I remember going back to my hometown on Christmas break. And I got to tell you, I mean, preparing this message this week, completely, I, I look back on all the lost opportunities because my life was not reflecting Christ. It was reflecting the world. It was reflecting what I wanted to do. It was reflecting all the things that was fun to me, the, the things that I wanted to, to put into my, to my, to my life to, to give me pleasure. It certainly wasn't reflecting Christ. Sometimes, sometimes it was, but I think for the most part, I would have been standing more on the side of the Pharisees than those who were called to that repentance. A little background on John the Baptist. John's mother, Elizabeth, was a relative of Mary, Jesus' mother, the mother of Jesus. The two women were pregnant at the same time. And you may remember that there was a, a passage, it's talked about in Luke chapter 1, where these two uh, expectant mothers come together, and it says, John, John in, in uh, Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy when he was filled with the Holy Spirit because of, the, because of being in the presence of Jesus. So we know John was a spirit-filled person from before he was even born. The angel Gabriel had already foretold of this miraculous birth and this prophetic ministry of John the Baptist, as I mentioned, to his father, Zechariah. Zechariah didn't believe it, but he got, to, he got to have his mouth shut for the entire pregnancy until he was born. His wife may have enjoyed that. I don't know. <laughs> My wife probably would enjoy that. She's not here to say yes or no, so I can say that. John was to become the God-ordained messenger proclaiming the arrival of Messiah, Jesus. That was his purpose. He knew what his purpose was. His parents knew what his purpose was. And even the people knew what his purpose was. And the remarkable ministry of John the Baptist included a number of things. One was the baptism of Jesus, who we know is to be the Son of God, was baptized by John in the Jordan. Matt's going to spe spend all next week talking about Jesus' baptism, what it reflects and what it represents, and how it brings back images to people of God's redemptive powers in the Old Testament, bringing them out of slavery and passing through the waters of the Red Sea and into the Promised Land. In, um, in about 29 AD, Herod Antipas had John the Baptist arrested and put in prison. And, and later, John was beheaded through a plot devised by Herodias, who was the illegal wife of Herod, the ex-wife of, of Herod's brother, Philip. He had, she had asked for John's head on a platter, and he delivered it to her. And so, just a few years before Jesus was crucified on the cross, his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded because he realized that there was one purpose and one mission that he was called to in life, and that was to point to Jesus. It's interesting that we are called the same thing as Jesus' followers. And I mentioned the prophetic references of John the Baptist. We have to kind of look at this section of the center of the text 
to understand why the people who were listening to him speaking, that Matthew's writing this section, and John the Baptist is, Baptist is out there in the, in the, uh, alongside the River Jordan, coming from the wilderness. He's speaking this um, baptism, speaking about this baptism for repentance, for the forgiveness, or for the uh, turning away from your sins. And we have to look back into the Old Testament to understand what's going on in Isaiah 40, uh, verses 1 through 3, 1 through 5. If you look at the book of Isaiah, there's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. And, and really, in, in kind of microcosm, it represents the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah kind of reflecting the Old Testament, 39 books of the Old Testament. And it's all about Israel and their failure to follow God's plan. It's all about Israel and their failure to repent from their sins. It's all about the fact that they're falling away from the calling that God intended for them as the people of God. In the next 26 chapters of Isaiah, which perhaps represent the 26, 27 books of the 26 books of the New Testament, there is there's there's this re, there's this general turning of the book towards what God is going to do to redeem his people who couldn't follow what he had called them to do. And standing right in the center of this, this, this kind of transference or this uh, change in direction of the book of Isaiah is this passage called the Janus verse. And it says this, it says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Remember the whole first part of Isaiah talking about the judgment that was going to come on Israel because they weren't following what God wanted them to do. And now in this passage, it says, comfort, comfort my people. She, is, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins because of what? Because a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Where every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places made a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And if you take that passage in Isaiah chapter 40, and then you start to look at Isaiah chapter 42, which talks about the beginnings of the suffering servant, then you talk about Isaiah 48, and then you go into the suffering servant passage of Isaiah 53, on into the very words that Jesus spoke the first time he preached when he opened up the scrolls in his hometown. If you remember that story, pulls out the, the scrolls from the prophet Isaiah, goes to Isaiah 61, and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news, to, to deliver the, the, those who are sick and those who need to repent and to forgive their sins. And so this entire passage in Isaiah chapter 40 is beginning to point to Jesus and his coming, which is the exact passage in our story this morning that John himself is, is portrayed by Matthew 
This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. The people who were standing on the side of the Jordan, the Pharisees, those who were the Sadducees, the, the religious leaders who were coming to hear what's going on, they knew the story. When someone says, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, they're hearing Isaiah chapter 40. That's their, that's their Bible. And they knew it inside and out. So there's no escaping the fact that to them, over that 400-year period, you remember a couple weeks ago when the Magi came, we talked about how there had been a lack of prophetic work within the, the people. God had been silent since Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi chapter 3, if we were to, to turn there, it actually talks about the prophet Elijah will come in the end and, and help turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. So the people have this expectation that not only is the prophet Elijah going to come, but the one who is this servant who's going to change and provide a way for Israel to get back into relationship with God is going to come. And here bursts on the scene this person who is dressed exactly like who? Prophet Elijah. Because Elijah was one who wore this thick animal skin, and he was one who ate locusts and honey in the desert. And so when they hear this, they're thinking, this must be Elijah. This must be the very person that the Old Testament writers talked about would come back when who was about to burst onto the scene? The anointed one. The Messiah. And that's exactly what John, or that's exactly what John the Baptist does. In fact, he, he doesn't say anything pretty much about himself. He simply says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's pointing to Jesus. In fact, he's pointing to Jesus who is about to burst out into the water in the Jordan in the next chapter which Matt's going to talk about next week. John the Baptist was there to prepare the way. All four Gospels mention John the Baptist. They all talk about him. Matthew chapter 3, 11, 12, 14, 16, 17, Mark 6. Mark opens up with the very words of John the Baptist. He's also referenced several times throughout the book of Acts. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus himself says this of John the Baptist. He says, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. I tell you the truth. Those, among those born among women has risen nobody greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Among those born of women, there was no one greater than John the Baptist. Except he or she who is willing to do my work, who is willing to answer my call, who is willing to grasp onto the fact that I have created them, that he has created you for a specific purpose, for a specific mission, will even be considered greater than John the Baptist. 
pretty amazing. John's Gospel introduces John the Baptist in conjunction with Jesus. The beginning of John's Gospel, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you jump down to verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. They're talking about Jesus. Jesus himself says later on in John, I am the light of the world. Right in the middle of this discussion about Jesus being the light, that breaks into the world. Going back to Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 9, when it talks about the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, for to them a child is born, to them a son is given. Speaking of Jesus and the coming of the Messiah, being the light into the darkness, right in the center of John's prologue, which talks about this coming Jesus who is the Son of God, he says this. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light which is really what we are, isn't it? John came as a witness to the light. He came as a witness to point people, to point us to the true source of light and life, Jesus the Messiah, which is what we're called to do. Called to point people to Jesus. Called to point people to who the Messiah is, to why he exists, to why he came. Because that true light who gives light to everything had come into the world. The world, the word itself had become flesh and made his dwelling among us. The end of John 1.15, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because the same thing applies to us as a follower of Jesus. We need to be a witness of that light. As a follower of Jesus, we need to be reflecting Jesus to the people around us. Because the words that Isaiah spoke, the people walking in darkness, man, we're surrounded by them. Wherever you are, wherever you go, whoever you know, there will be people who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They don't know Jesus as a follower and as a disciple. And we're called as followers of Jesus to reflect the glory of God in such a way that the light of Christ points them to God. Points them exactly to God. I know sometimes it feels like it's hard to do. Sometimes it feels like you don't want to have that conversation with your friends. 
Sometimes it feels like you don't want to have that conversation at work. I feel that. I feel that when the places that I go, I work in as a chaplain in the hospital and in doctor's offices, and I go in people's homes, and my whole calling is to provide spiritual care to people when they're either sick or entering into the final stages of their life. And yet sometimes I walk into scenarios where I'm sharing with the doctor's office, and it's hard to have that conversation because you know that having that conversation could affect the relationship, right? I just want to let us all realize and let us all know that not having the conversation definitely will reflect, will affect the relationship of that person with God. And which one is more important? John had a lot of strengths. His greatest, one of his greatest strengths was his focused and faithful commitment to the call of God on his life. He had taken this Nazarite vow, which means they followed a strict set of rules that they had to do. And, and taking this, this Nazarite vow for life, he personified the term set apart for God. John knew that he had been given a specific job to do, and he set out with a singular obedience to fulfill that mission. He didn't just talk about repentance from sin. He, he lived his life with a boldness of purpose that everything that he did, every conversation he had, every place he walked into, it reflected his calling. It reflected who he was. And he was uncompromising about that to the point where he was willing to be a martyr, have his head chopped off because he was so bold with his faith. So as we kind of wrap up this morning, I want to end with maybe three observations for us. And, and we're going to just kind of end with this question, what do we learn from John the Baptist, right? It's kind of the so what question. You're sitting here, you're listening to this story about John the Baptist, and you're thinking to yourself, come on, who is this guy? He keeps going on and on. I actually have a timer tonight, and I'm going to be pretty close to being on time. But the idea is, what do we learn from John the Baptist? What do you guys want to learn from him? What should God be speaking to us about John the Baptist in our life in 2016 in Spokane, Washington, as mothers and fathers and students and whatever place that we find ourselves, what should we learn from God, John the Baptist? The first thing we should learn is that God has called each of us to a purpose in life. And Jesus is the way to finding that purpose. Every one of you here tonight is called for a specific purpose. You want to know what that purpose is? Look to Jesus. He said himself in John 14, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the way. You want to know what your purpose is? Look to Jesus. Ask him. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what's your purpose. What is it that you're called to do? The people have been asking that question for centuries. The early, the early church... After the Reformation, in like the 17th century, there's this document called the Westminster Catechism. The Westminster Catechism is basically, it's a teaching. 
And it's a series of questions that as you ask the question and answer the question, it reveals and explains to you who God is. And the first question in the Westminster Catechism says this, what is the chief end of man? In other words, why do we exist? What is the chief end of humanity, God's creation? What's our purpose? And the answer in that particular first question is this. It is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose. Now how you play that purpose out, to glorify God, to reflect God in your life, to become more like Christ, you're going to find in the Bible. You're going to find in godly Christian relationships. You're going to find in gathering together in community. But that's the purpose that we're called to. Jesus is the way to the life that God intended for us. The second thing I want us to realize is that Matthew, in this verse, mentions two different outcomes to life in this passage. One path leads to fire and judgment. There's that whole section in there that talks about the axe is about to be laid to the root of the tree. In other words, if the, if the tree's not bearing fruit, if there's no fruit in your life that you're reflecting and following and growing in the things that God has called us to, John is saying in this passage, there's going to be judgment coming. Now, I'm not here to say what that judgment is. I'm simply here to say something's coming. Something's coming. In 2003, I was leading a church down in San Diego, California. In October of 2003, there's this huge firestorm that starts. I don't know if any of you were around down then, but the, the firestorm consumed about over 2,000 structures. And I got to tell you, there was a couple times when the area where we were was close enough that I wanted to get out of there. I was standing after, after sharing a sermon one morning, morning, I was standing and I was talking to one of the guys in the church and as we're sitting there talking, as close as we are together right here, this burning ember as close as we are right here, this burning ember, like, like uh, you know those little helicopter things used to get off the trees, you could throw them in the air, and they kind of twirl down like that? This burning ember that's still on fire with the flame on it is like swirling down between our feet. And I looked at my friend John, and I said, I think I better head home. I'd only been there about a month. I didn't even know the area. I got on my cell phone, and I said, which way is going to be the shortest way? He said, you got to go to Highway 15. I jump on 15, Highway 15 shut down. The fire has jumped the road. It's like burning on both sides. We're not talking a little grass fire here. We're talking about a fire that was a wall of flames at least 200 feet in the air. You could hear it from miles away. So I, I called John. I said, 15 is shut down. Five is shut down. I got to go out Highway 8. He's telling me, okay, you got to go down this road. I come up over the hill, and the police are just starting to shut down the freeway there. I'm talking to John on the phone as I'm driving. He goes, take a right. So I'm going on this back road. He's trying to get me around it because he knows if I can get on the, get on the other side of it, because they're stopping people from coming into town, I can get away from it. 
I'm going down this back road, and there's all, I'm, I can hear and smell what's going on. And I got to tell you, it was a little bit frightening. I came up over, over the hill, and all of these people had stopped, and they were out taking pictures. And all I wanted to do was head the other direction and get away from them. See, that's what God is calling us to do. That's what repentance is. Repentance is looking at all the stuff that's going to burn us up in life and turning and running the other way, running straight to God, running straight to Jesus, running straight to the things he's called us. Two paths, one leading to fire and judgment, the other path leading to the waters of baptism, of repentance and forgiveness and the living waters of eternal life that we find in Jesus. And finally, I, wanna, I want us all to remember that we have, a, we have to choose the path. We have to choose the way. There's a story that I'm going to read to close tonight. And some of you may have heard this before. It's by an author by the name of Portia Nelson. And it goes like this. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. And I get out immediately. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. I walk down another street. You see, we have to choose the path we walk down. We have to choose the road that we're on. John was willing to point the way to the people that were gathering around him in the Jordan. He was calling them to repent. He was calling them to ask God to forgive them. When we come to realize that God has given us a specific purpose for our lives, we can move forward with confidence, fully trusting the one who has called us. And like John the Baptist, each one of us here, we may all be walking the path that points people to Jesus if we're willing to trust and obey. Let's pray.